Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss, you think that M1's a tank? It just got popped. Next up, dependence sees the day to hack. And as always, deception, subterfuge, and treachery. That's right. We'll play Two Truths and a Lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 76, recorded on February 22nd, 2021. I'm your co-host, Tim. Everything is insecure, helming. With me, co-host Chad Adaft Punk Anderson, well played. And a guest appearance this week by Taylor, I can still hear you saying you would never break the supply chain, Wilkes Pierce. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. It's been, uh, I don't know, a, a couple weeks, a few weeks since, uh, Taylor, since you've been on Breaking Badness, although uh, the three of us all webinared together recently along with Joe Slowick. That was fun. But um, it's been, as they say, a busy week in InfoSec. And uh, not only that, um, there's been more stuff going on than just InfoSec. Chad, do you want to mention uh, what led to your clever name today? I think, I think it'll resonate for a lot of people who are in this world. Uh, yes. Well, Daft Punk did announce today that they uh, are breaking up after, you know, over 15 years of incredible music. Chad, your cardio monitor sounds really slow. Are you uh, you doing OK there? <laughs> so uh, pretty funny. I, I have this, uh, you know, Linux laptop over here that just decided to start doing a firmware update and randomly restarted. So apologies okay. for the uh, Lenovo's, I guess, beep when that happens. There's no way to stop it. It's okay. That everybody just uh, now you know what's going on, and you don't have to worry that Chad's heart rate is uh, unbelievably low. Although he he is a very relaxed individual, so you know it always could be. <laughs> it probably is some <laughs> Russian implant being installed, so you know go with that. Yeah, that's the beeping of Sputnik, except uh, updated for the modern age. Okay, well, hey, Chad, let's uh, dive right into the first story. You think that M1's a tank? It just got popped. We knew it had to happen sometime, right? And we knew also that it wouldn't take very long. And it's here, folks. The first malware specifically crafted for the Apple M1 chip has been spotted in the wild. Here to tell us about it is we think still happy, M1 owner Chad. So to kick things off, especially for folks who aren't Apple fanboys or don't follow hardware development super closely, Chad, can you give us a quick overview of this new chipset? Is it really all that and a bag of, Never mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, you know, this new chipset is really all about taking everything that Apple learned with their ARM architecture on phones. Um, and applying that to a laptop machine. So it's just a system on a chip, uh, specifically designed modules that are all worked together, right? It's a it's a one one piece. So it's off like there's certain components that things are offloaded to, like your um, uh, you know you have graphics processing or whatever that has a specific chip for that specific crypto chip that sort of thing. Um, and they're all uh, working together and all designed to work together and operate as quickly as possible. It's kind of the antithesis of that PC idea, right? That lets you pick and choose components and they all have to work together in some way through a universal interface. Um, that isn't the case with these. You don't get to change anything out. You know, you don't get to upgrade your RAM. 
Um, but it is all designed as one package to be fast together. Um, and because of the ARM architecture, there's a lot of savings for um, power as well that the uh, x86 architecture doesn't provide. So um, yeah, every bit's designed to be streamlined. And um, you know, in my off time, I do quite a bit of photography and editing um, in those sorts of applications. And the comparison, like just you know, subjectively on the M1 MacBook Air that I got versus anything else uh, just blows everything else out of the water. It's incredible. Everything's so smooth just because of how every every bit of processing that, you know, does any image processing has a specific place, um, you know, a specific chip for processing that. So uh, response time's near instant. Um, and that's something that you can just get when you control every bit of the hardware all the way down the line. Um, and bonus even is that Apple left a boot mode in where you can run Linux on the thing uh, if you want to do so. There's a project that is uh, doing that. I'm sure that you miss out on some of the benefits of using LSX, um, you know, as since they have the full documentation for the chip and they haven't released that to everybody. Uh, but it is a truly amazing piece of hardware. Love the thing. Um, I'm not being paid for this advertisement. I was just going to say, Breaking Bad is brought to you not by <laughs> Apple, even though it almost sounds that way. No, yeah. uh, that's if they send uh, me one cool. though, love one. Especially yeah. once once VMware runs on the thing, and I can throw a uh, an actual lab on it. Apple, if you send us a couple of free M1 laptops, we will totally send you some Breaking Badness stickers. Mm -hmm. Great, great trade and a yep. hoodie. Yep, uh, we could probably even get a hoodie in there. Okay, so, <laughs> so Chad, what was the over under uh, in Vegas on how long it was going to take for M1 specific malware to be found out there in the wild? Yeah, well, you know, if we'd been allowed to go to Vegas in the last year, um, <laughs> probably would have uh, looked up how I could bet on that. But, um, you know, it had to be short lived, uh, no matter what, right? Like, there's a lot of IoT malware out there that uh, authors are already uh, creating frameworks and uh, shell code for the ARM chipset. Um, and the high speed of these M1 chips make them juicy for anyone looking to drop miners, right? So, um, couldn't have been expected to last too long. Uh, and now that there's even more samples that are being discovered, such as the, uh, what is it, Silver Sparrow today? That's all going to accelerate. Yeah, I realized, you know, as we were prepping for this uh, episode that there were, even when we first chose the stories, that there were probably going to be like a few more of these malwares uh, just between the time we prepped and the time we recorded. So anyhow, the uh, this original one that was discovered, uh, what was this and who who found this? Yeah, so uh, Patrick Wardle, I guess, is the name of the security researcher, found a Safari extension that they've been following called GoSearch22 that ended up having some uh, ARM-specific components um, in the way that it was built out, So, or in the new version, rather. Uh, so what it does is it serves up ads, um, can redirect users to malicious websites. Um, it was a legitimately signed Safari extension, um, which all that's now been revoked. Um, but it's kind of interesting, especially given the Silver Sparrow um, malware uh, that dropped uh, just the other day is distributed through malicious advertisements. So maybe they're maybe they're redirecting each other. That's pure speculation, actually, and probably not true at all. But I just had to say it. It sounded good. Yeah. So what what are the implications then of of the new architecture that you were describing for M1 in terms of the ability for things like AV engines to be able to detect this or other malware that comes along. Yeah, so you know any sort of uh, behavioral engine, I would hope would still be able to see um, a lot of the typical things. You know, like reaching out to 
um, you know, command and control servers, whatnot, things like that, that it would pick up. But a lot of the static analysis based detection engines um, probably going to have some trouble with ARM binaries um, just because it is an architecture that's not as uh, heavily studied and not as uh, used for malware. Like I said, there are a bunch for um, IoT devices, um, but, you know, a lot of that doesn't get... Um, uh, doesn't get picked up as much by many vendors. So um, thankfully, a lot of the Mac-based malware is going to be shipped multi-architecture for a minute, I would assume, um, just because if you're a malware author, you want to take advantage of the most victims. And there really aren't a ton of M1s out there besides a bunch of diehard Apple fanboys, which I would not include myself in, but probably everyone else would, um, trying to avoid that designation. But this thing is so hot. Um Anyways, <laughs> while things are shipping uh, multi-architecture, uh, it gives detection engines some time to catch up. And, and there's, there's a lot of great research out there, too, for any, um, anyone who wants to like kind of up their game uh, in this space. There's this wonderful Azaria Labs um, website, which has writing shellcode on ARM, you know, reversing ARM binaries, um, lots of great stuff on there. So I think there's a lot of good resources for everyone to catch up. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for summarizing that, Chad. And yeah, we're, we're uh, you know, we'll see, um, we'll see plenty optimized for this chipset as well as, like you said, kind of multi-architecture and, and the multi-architecture, um, it makes a ton of sense that that's going to be around for, for quite a while until these things become kind of the dominant chipset out there in the, uh, in the marketplace or, or in the actual user's hands. So, the risk level of this, uh, hey, I made a risk joke. Uh, Taylor, what's your hoodie rating for this uh, M1 specific malware? You know, it's tough because this does feel the kind of inevitable <laughs> to a degree, right? I mean, the the popularity of that platform out of the gate, uh, popularity of existing uh, you know, Apple hardware running on ARM. Uh, kind of meant that the stuff was going to get either ported or written specifically for it. Uh, you know, I, from this specific bit, you know, I think the hoodie rating's fairly low, but the kind of longer arcing, uh, you know, fear of this seems a little bit high. I'll give it, uh, let's go, let's go four hoodies and a sleeve. Four hoodies and a sleeve from Taylor. All right. And uh, Chad, what's your thought about it? You know, I, I'm going to say it's pretty low as well. Um, I'll just because it is a, you know, it's a malicious browser extension. There's more coming out. Um, there's still a lot to be learned, I think, from people with uh, regards to the chipset since it isn't super well documented um, uh, as far as some of the more advanced features that just Apple's making use of. Um, and I think we'll see as the ARM space gets moved into more, um, attackers getting more and more wise in um, you know, operating in that architecture. So, you know, we've got Windows on ARM is um, coming down the pipeline. Um, I think may already even be out. I just don't really pay that much attention. But uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it for now. I'm going to say, you know, it, it's three out of 10. You know, it's like two just like sleeves off the hoodie, like those cool emo kids had in uh, high school. <laughs> All right. Like a Bill Belichick right. hoodie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually know what I'm saying. We're getting into some, <laughs> some pretty interesting hoodie architecture here. Okay, yeah. so four points something yeah. for Taylor and three for Chad for the well, you know, ratings. 
Tim, you know, it, it just makes sense, you know, that it would only be sleeves because we have to cover the arms here. Uh, <laughs> oh, You're welcome. I, you know, Kelsey, I sure hope you listen to this episode. Kelsey's having a very uh, well-deserved week off where I'm sure she's just uh, relaxing and kicking back and doing not much of anything. Not really. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for that story. Our second story this week, Dependencies the Day to Hack. For our second story, this particular hack exploration is a deep dive into one of the important but probably often overlooked parts of the software ecosystem, the Humble Package Manager. And if you run any flavor of Unix, you've probably run commands like pip install and some package that you're trying to install. Each time you've run it, did you ask the universe, what could possibly go wrong? Well, maybe you should. So Taylor, some listeners might not uh, play around that much in Unix land. So can you just give a quick overview of what package managers are? Sure. Uh, so, you know, from the, the Nick side of the house, you'll have package managers managing your OS components. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, you know, things like Java or Python or Ruby, uh, you'll have package management that allows developers to easily incorporate open source libraries into their projects. Uh, like, you know, for example, you're not going to rewrite an HTTP client for every single JavaScript project you're doing. You're probably just going to use request. Uh, you know, the, the researchers here, uh, I want to get their names right, Alex Burson and uh, Justin Gardner here uh, were leveraged this in uh, initially trying to target PayPal uh, over the summer, looking into uh, you know some of the various ways that these corporations utilize package management in their internal projects. Um, so, you know, the traditional method is like, hey, we'll go ahead and we'll have public uh, packages for handling stuff like HTTP requests. Uh, but if we want to customize any of that, uh, we could customize that and use those as private packages. Uh, well, it, it turns out that if you can enumerate the names of the private packages that are used, uh, you know, in these projects for these corporations, uh, but really anybody doesn't have to be anybody that big, but, uh, if you can enumerate the names of their private, uh, their private packages, you can kind of reserve those namespaces, uh, in the, package management uh, themselves. So in NPM and uh, PyPy and RubyGems, you can kind of reserve those to say, hey, uh, instead of the, uh, you know, instead of like the, running it private, uh, we'll make a public package with the exact same name. Uh, and then when you go to uh, put those packages together, some of the package managers uh, will go and look externally uh, for those packages first, regardless of whether, you know, the, the, they know that the packages are internal or not. So, uh, they'll go and incorporate your malicious packages that you've put out into the world, uh, you know, directly into your projects. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've got these corporations that are running your code thinking they are running their code. Yeah. So this was pretty interesting, uh, research that they did. So, uh, thank you for that. And, so where did they, uh, where did these researchers pick some of this stuff up from? Yeah, um, so you know they were able to scan through GitHub to look for kind of callouts, uh, and they can kind of infer the private package names uh, from some of the source code, uh, and they can also look at the just the Node.js package uh, package manifests basically, uh, and see where the private packages were called out there as well. So a lot of the stuff was just kind of hanging out in the wild for just about anybody to find, uh, <laughs> and then once they started discovering these things, they started building their malicious code. 
code uh, into kind of their their public version of these private packages, uh, and then they just waited. That's uh, it's a very clever um, piece. And by the way, in the show notes, uh, we'll have a, a link to the original research. So if folks are interested, they can uh, they can check that out. But uh, you know, this is maybe a, a little bit more of a minor part of this, but. You know, one of our favorite phrases around here is it's always DNS and that shows up in the article. So what's the role of DNS in this experimentation that Alex did? Yeah, so Alex uh, and, and Justin wanted to kind of uh, find the callbacks from, from where their code was being incorporated uh, into these projects. And so um, they used a little bit of DNS uh, exfil to kind of call back and get uh, username, host name, current install path off of their victims. Uh, and then, you know, using DNS, it's always DNS, uh, <laughs> give them a way to get that data from, from inside those corporate networks that they were targeting. So among the more benign uses of DNS tunneling then? Sure. Yeah. But I mean, in this case, because they couldn't really determine where their stuff was going to be running from, right? This is, uh, it wasn't like they were, well, these were very targeted uh, in the way that they went out and hunted down the package names and then deployed them. Um, you know, they couldn't really tell who was going to pick up what and to what extent they were going to um, be able to get those pings uh, from inside of those networks. Yep. So DNS, you know, always, always a nice way to try to get that. <laughs> Why not? It, it always has to be allowed. So with all that info under our belts, I mean, what, what were the results? I think you've kind of kind of explained that, but you know, how extensive was the, the, the true uh, achievement here by uh, Alex and Justin? Massive. I, you know, just, uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, call they said 35, uh, targets called back to them. Um, they, they named out a few Yelp, Tesla, uh, Apple, Microsoft, uh, PayPal, they, you know, that's kind of where that kit, that whole thing kicked off. Uh, you know, they discovered along the way, some really interesting kind of wrinkles in, um, in some of the package managers, particularly like in pip install. Like if, if you, uh, if you've got a private, package that's that's got a higher version than the internal package and a specific flag is not uh, set in the in the build it'll go and hunt for the highest version of the package you, you know internal or external and so by setting uh, the higher uh, kind of package uh, version numbers in their uh, kind of public versions of those pi private packages they were able to supersede uh, the private stuff internally so uh, they, they found some really interesting wrinkles in, in how to get that uh, how to get their code running uh, in places where it ought not to be. Um, so in particular, there's a really great uh, article from the Microsoft team uh, on kind of mitigating this. Uh, we, I think we should probably link to that as well. I'll grab the PDF link for you there. Uh, you know, I know that this, uh, you know, this, caused a lot of headaches for the teams there over the last few months as they were working on kind of mitigating this uh, at scale. Because this is, it's, a, it's just a large, uh, there's a lot of surface area for this, right? Um, and there's just a lot of, uh, particularly large organization, there's a lot of uh, places to try and track down uh, these different projects that are that are using both internal and external dependencies. Gotcha. Well, uh, thank you. That's a great explanation. And yeah, I'm sure that uh, that blog from Microsoft will be uh, a great addition to the notes here. So Chad, having taken all of this in, what's your hoodie rating for this one? Yeah, I'd, I'd put this one uh, relatively uh, high up there. It's easy to mitigate for people and it really, um, you know, 
should be less of a problem than it is. So I'd say it's probably a six out of 10 for me. Um, kind of, you know, coming from a DevOps background, I think like, so you have your internal, um, you know, PyPy, say if it's Python, uh, that's your package management um, repository where your internal, um, you know, packages are kept. Um, why is, uh, yeah, why is that not the first thing in your, in your list of um, um, places to grab from? Why is it preferring to go out to the global um, package manager? So little things like that uh, just seem kind of funky to me. It's where like some things have fallen down in their, uh, in their ops for some of these companies. And, and, you know, it's at the bigger companies when you hear that happen to Microsoft and whatnot, you know, it probably happened to like one or two teams that were maybe working on something. Um, you know, it's not like all of Microsoft was popped with this, but uh, it's, it is interesting. It is a big problem since it does allow people to run code on um, other networks. So, uh, but every couple of years, we we hear something about an attack like this, or you know, malicious yeah. code put into packages. It's uh, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I remember some malicious code that was put into some package, but Solar. I don't. Uh, I don't know. It'll come back to me. Yeah, Flare. <laughs> Yeah, maybe something like that. Some small <laughs> network monitoring company, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor, what about you? Hoodies. Uh, yeah. You know, this is an interesting one because we see kind of variations of this come around every couple of years, it seems like. Uh, in fact, you'll see in this article, uh, they referenced uh, some research done in, I believe it was 2016, uh, on typo squatting package names um, that yielded some similar results. Although that um, kind of required either a miskey or potentially a bit flip or, you know, something a little less programmatic than this particular uh, instance here. Like this, this, is, this seems a lot more widespread. I mean, the fact that they're able to run arbitrary code at you know Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, like uh, you know, uh, and and there's like that's um, that that's pretty big. So uh, a they're, they're probably going to uh, do pretty well on their tax returns in 2021. I'd imagine from the bounty payouts from this. Uh, for me, yeah, I'm probably a little higher than Chad on this. Uh, I'd say seven hoodies uh, and like a two zippers sleeves and the drawstrings off of a, off of another one. <laughs> All right. Uh, awesome. I'm writing that down that, you know, that we'll have to come up with some kind of a decimal notation for these zippers, <laughs> sleeves, drawstrings, and other subcomponents, sub assemblies of the hoodie that are uh, partial fractional hoodies. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, with our, Weeks, two stories under our belts. It's now time for Two Truths and a Lie, InfoSec style. So for those of you not familiar with this each week, one of us will come prepared with three article titles, two of which are real and one of which is a shameless lie. Now, uh, since we're all pretty uh, competitive people, uh, we decided to create a point system for this. You can find that on the uh, Breaking Badness site. But whoever is the designated Dolos, which is the Greek god of or spirit of trickery and guile, uh, is trying to trick the other two participants. Uh, in this case, trying, uh, Taylor will be trying to trick Chad and myself. Um, uh, Taylor will receive a point for every participant he deceives. And uh, if one or both of us guess correctly, Chad and I, then we get a point. So with that, Taylor, take it away. Oh, my gentlemen, this is this is uh, where I have traditionally gotten my butt kicked on this podcast in Two Truths and a Lie. This is not um, 
This is why I guess I'm just too trusting of the people I work with. Uh, but now it's my turn. So uh, <laughs> let me read down uh, three headlines that I've plucked uh, from the interwebs. Uh, the first one, hacking chess.com and accessing 50 million customer records. The second one, Agora.io video chat SDK bug left several video calling apps vulnerable to snooping. And the third one, 37-year-old malware targeting French Minitel machines found on a floppy disk in a Paris dump. Oh, my God. I really hope the last one is true. Chad, go ahead. I'm going to ruminate on this and uh, you have at it and then I'll uh, see what I come up with. All right. I... Uh, mm. I'm going to go with the chess.com, the first one being false. Um, Taylor, I'm going to do the same because it just sounds so, I don't know, so utterly believable that it's it's just got to be a lie. So uh, lay it on us. What was no, I'll, I'll never tell. False? I'll never tell. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the first two were absolutely true. Uh, that third one, the 37-year-old malware targeting French Minitel machines found on the floppy disk in a Paris dump. I made that up. Oh, man. I'm uh, so disappointed that wasn't a real story. I'm oh, trying yeah. to hope to, to speak it into existence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure that that didn't happen? Are hey, you uh, look, I got to go to plane flight. I got to go do some dumpster diving. That's right. Well, very well done. So, uh a point, uh, two points yes. for Taylor. So, you know, re, uh, rehabilitating your score in this area. On the board. So On very, the board. very well done. Lovely. All right, Chad, Taylor, thank you so much. That uh, will pretty much wrap it up for this week's Breaking Badness. And uh, we'll see you next time. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.